Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of The World Designer. My guest today is Jesper Svenning, a Danish UX designer and researcher. Happy to have you here today, Jesper. Likewise, happy to be here. So, please tell me, what were the most important points in your career? Because I know it's been yeah, many years since you've been a designer and your story was quite nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try to see if I can make it short. I guess this, I guess technically the biggest one to begin with was when I joined CIID, the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. That's where I kind of learned all things interaction design and that it, you didn't have to be an engineer to build things that could actually you could interact with and um, and a lot of like hands-on and really just like learning by doing. I think that's that year was like really intense and where I really like learned a lot. And then I think there was like, I got a job uh, in Los Angeles. So just, I think on a personal level, that was like a massive thing to just like move away from little Denmark and start uh, working in a massive company. And my, I had a great boss and mentor who really was really great at taking time to like teach me a lot of different skills, especially around research and, uh, anthropology and those kind of things. And then I think maybe the next one was probably when I started freelancing in 2015. I think that was also like a pretty big kind of jump, just like not having that regular income and just like trying to see if you could get clients and work. And But so far it's been going pretty well. So I think that's probably like the three major blocks in my career. Not too many people find that mentor so early on. And I think that's kind of necessary because it's better to learn from the guys that's already been there, yeah. has done that, and yeah, can help you avoid some mistakes. Exactly. And I think also, I think maybe like a typical design school, you learn a lot about processes and, and how it's supposed to be like the right way, right? And I think maybe CID is slightly different because it's so intense and it's often like two weeks and you've kind of pushed a little bit more. But I think the great thing about the mentor I had there was also like, well, it's never going to be ideal in the real world, right? So what can we do now? How do we kind of change or how do we adapt this process to now we only have two weeks instead of four. So what do we do then? And I think that can be really hard when you're starting out to like, oh no, we have to follow the process. We have to do it exactly like this and these kind of steps in this order. But I think she was really good at like explaining how, what steps to skip or how we could modify this process a little bit. And I think that was super helpful. But again, it also, you have to be really lucky. And I think I was lucky. And I, I think she was also really nice to just take an extra hour or whatever to like kind of get me on board and make sure I was like understanding what was going on instead of just saying like, okay, we I do it this my way and just follow along. So, yeah. yeah. And over the years, have you picked a favorite sector to work with, or what's the field that you feel best at? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think I was trying to think a little bit about like I think that I'm a little split because now I'm working with like a lot of um, pharmaceutical and you know, like medical companies and. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's amazing to help people and like you, you, you actually feel like you're doing a change mm -hmm. uh, instead of like when you're doing more like marketing kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. But I think the problem is 
for me and maybe a little bit that it can also be very heavy and like quite intense when you especially as a researcher you meet a lot of people who are kind of suffering with whatever like medical yeah. condition they have and i think that can also bring you down a little bit so i'm kind of like a little torn in between that and then just doing stuff that is more fun like i worked in gaming it was really fun i always wanted to work more like in toys and with kids it's a little more like lighthearted, and you can get yeah. to experiment a little bit more as well i think especially with pharmaceutical there's so many rigid systems and you have to do it it has to be super user friendly it has to be very obvious which is of course great but sometimes you want to like maybe be a little more playful so i think i'm always a little split between those two um just because i kind of sometimes you you want to experiment a bit more and i think also maybe like art installations and those kind of interactive things where you have like total yeah. freedom maybe people don't understand what you're doing but at least <laughs> You're having fun so yeah but i mean so i don't think i have like a favorite sector i think yeah i'm I kind of split between those two like it's nice to help people it's really it feels really great when you see people using it and it's improving their lives but sometimes you also want to have a little bit of fun yeah sometimes you have to have some fun to yeah just let go but, but I, i mean that that's also the great thing about being a freelancer right because then I can do a three months project on like a pharma company and then I can maybe if I'm lucky find another project that's maybe a little less uh, dense or heavy and then you can maybe switch between those two again it also depends if you have the yeah. right opportunities of course but so I want to ask how does design in the pharmaceutical look like because I know that when it comes to sales and marketing they are kind of behind like some mm. companies don't even have a CRM or yeah any software in place to help them keep track of everything and yeah is it the same case with design that they are way behind others they some companies definitely are behind and i think it's not because of the designers are bad or like i've met great designers there but i think the problem is that there's so many rules and so like Like everything has to be done according to all these processes and it has to be approved and like FDA approval and all these things and there's so many regulatory improvements that kind of like everything just takes five times as long right yeah. and every time you make a little change then you have to get a new approval whereas if it's just a regular app that like Uber or whatever you can AB test whatever you want you can do things on the fly and that kind of speeds up a lot of processes so I've seen, I think there's a lot of great, like futuristic work, like where it's like, okay, yeah. this is where we want to go. And like all the visions are amazing. But then when it comes down to, well, how do we actually do it right now? Then yeah, it kind of, everything gets pushed backwards. So I think there are probably a couple of years behind, yeah. if not more. Again, it also depends on the company and the type of project. And what I've, I've seen stuff that looked like something out of the early nineties where I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we just make this slightly better but um yeah i think it's just hard because there's stakeholders and rules and regulations yeah. and and you have to I've, actually this week i just learned that you have to do like the usability test a certain kind of way in a certain kind of order and with the right people to get like approval and so that also means that you And you have to get like at least i think they're aiming for 90 success rate right that means you have to make it super clear and that's why sometimes it needs to be a massive button or whatever something just like you can't avoid 
doing this. So, yeah. Yeah, so it can be pretty difficult for a yeah, junior designer there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think it's hard for everyone, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when it comes to working as a freelance designer, yeah, it's been your past few years. So how did it look like? How did you become a freelance designer and how do you even find projects? <laughs> yeah, I was actually, I was extremely lucky. So the way it kind of happened was that I had been working for uh, that gaming company that I, my first job in, in Los Angeles, and uh, they gave me a green card, which was amazing. So then I had the opportunity to work wherever I wanted, right? And, and at that point, I was kind of getting really frustrated with, there was a lot of corporate political stuff going on there. And I was just like, okay, I need to do something else. And I was going back and forth, should I just like quit my job and just take the chance that I'll find something. And I started interviewing at another company. And so luckily they asked me, hey, would you be open to just start out with a three month contract and not full time? Mm -hmm. And I was like, of course, that would be amazing. That's actually what I want. Yeah. Because at that point I also wanted to, us. I've been in gaming for so long and I didn't really know that was where I wanted to be. And I, speaking back on different sectors, I wanted to try out different things, right? So freelance seemed to be a great opportunity. And then, so I was lucky getting hired at that place. So I think I had like one week where I didn't work after starting freelance. And then I started on a three month project. So that was super lucky. Um, and then because that was an agency, there's a lot of other designers and uh, freelance designers there. And, at that time, also UX was like getting more and more popular, right? More and more, more mainstream. When I started working in 2011, like no one really, I mean, there were people who knew what UX was, but it wasn't like a thing. And I, I think I said just before the interview, like my first title was human-centered interaction designer, which is like, what does that even mean, right? So I think it was a combination of getting into that agency, meeting a lot of other freelance designers who would then start like, oh, I heard about this gig. Like, are you are you free? Like, because then when you start getting those kind of, they know how you work and like what type of person you are and all that stuff, then they'll start referring you as well. And then the agency as well was also like, well, do you want three months more? Like, uh, can you let me know when you're free again? So I think, especially in the states there's so much us ux works it's just a matter of is it interesting is it something you really want to do is the place a good place do they push people super hard so it's more for me it's been more navigating those kind of things than actually looking for work and i've so, been extremely fortunate i think but i think the the short version is like i keep saying like if you're not a complete idiot and you're nice to people, you're nice to work with, and you know what you're doing, then it should be fairly easy to to find something. Yeah. So you said that in the US there is lots of UX work. And is Europe completely different when it comes to that? I think it's definitely getting better. I think the, the big difference I've seen, at least mostly working in Denmark, is that Denmark is not like a freelance country in the same way that the UX... Mm -hmm. Uh, the US, UX, US, <laughs> US is. So people tend to be much more working full time and permanent jobs. So, in that sense, it's less freelance work to be had of any kind of design work, I, I feel. So, that's why I, I was a little nervous when I moved back to Denmark if I was able to actually find work. But I mean, 
the works keeps coming in. So, <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't be that nervous. But I think there's just a big difference because, especially in the states where there's, I think that whole gig economy is much more. They're probably a couple of years ahead of Europe. I feel. Um, and then it's also a bigger country, right? Denmark is 6 million people. It's like yeah. not even the size of LA. So it's just like those kind of scaling <laughs> issues. <laughs> where, um, so I think that that's maybe the, the main difference. And it, it's probably cheaper for people in or companies in the States to have freelancers because they don't yeah. have to pay them sick leave or healthcare and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Like there are lots of differences between Europe and USA. Like... Mm. Yeah, in basically every industry. In one cases, they are ahead of us. In other cases, Europe is leading. And yeah, yeah, there is always this balance. And I think that's a huge opportunity for some people that yeah live in Europe and work here and have seen mm-hmm. some things and then go to the US and yeah, they see that they are adopting it. And yeah. vice versa, it's the same thing for people from the USA that are coming to Europe, right? True. And what yes. would you say, what are the three things to keep in mind if someone wants to work as a freelance designer? Yeah, I mean, again, the short answer is like, don't be an asshole to other yeah. people, like don't burn your bridges. I think there is a lot, it's kind of weird, but I, I, a lot of people say like, I'd rather hire a person I like and then teach them what to do, right? Then hire an idiot who knows what they're doing, that but they can work with other people. So. I think there's definitely something around being like easy to collaborate with and not burning your bridges. But I think maybe the more kind of uh, the harder answer is like you need to have at least for me, I th- it was really helpful that I worked for a couple of years first at a company and got that experience and um, just becoming a little more senior in that sense. Uh, also, just to so you have some work for your portfolio and you can actually prove that, oh, this was what I've done and how I did it and, and being really good at explaining your process. That's for me at least super important. So I think I've talked to junior designers who wanted to be freelancers and I've always said like, well, I think you need a couple of years just to, because yeah. it's, I mean, it's, obviously it's, you can do it if you're a junior designer, but I think it's harder to get uh, work just because maybe also it might also be hard for you personally because it's like stressful and you feel like you have to deliver and you're not exactly sure what you're doing at that point and you're still trying to figure things out so yeah some experience be nice to other people be easy to work with um, and then i guess there's a a level of skill as well like (laughs) you need to know what you're doing (laughs) so don't lie to people (laughs) yeah and I think, I mean, there's also this other aspect of this, like, stress of, like, oh, do I have enough money to pay rent? Do, do I, will I get enough work? And if, if you're that, if you're always worried about that, then it's also not nice to be a freelancer, right? Because then when you're not working, you're constantly stressing or, like, okay, I need to find another gig. I need to make sure I can pay rent. So I think then you can't relax in those times when you're off. And I think that's something also to figure out if you're, if you can do that. For me, I was also lucky that I almost worked an entire year freelancing the first year. So I put a lot of money in the bank and then I knew, okay, now I can, I don't have to work technically for a year if I don't want to. And so that gave me a lot of like um, comfort knowing that, well, if I don't get a job within the next two months, it's fine or three months, it's fine. I I don't have to stress out. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's not for everybody, right? 
Yeah. Like someone can try it, but then they will realize that yeah, they just need that kind of psychological safety. Yeah. That the rent is co- yeah, the money is coming every month and they can pay the rent. And mm. yeah, sometimes people just have to try if it's yeah, if it's the right thing for them or not. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said about what type of designer type designer you are, because as a UX designer you tend to get a little longer uh projects because you have to do research and and strategy and those kind of things. And that usually takes like a month or two months. Whereas maybe if you're a graphic designer or a UI designer, you get hired to like, hey, can you come in and just like build this really fast? Um, so, and then, so if you're constantly only having those kind of two week gigs, then of course you have to, it might be more stressful, right? Because you constantly have to think about the next thing. So I'm also fortunate in that sense, I think. I'm sure you've worked with some software development teams. So <laughs> what would you say? How can you improve the relationship between designers and developers so yeah, teams can deliver even better project uh, projects, products? Yeah, I mean, I love working with developers. So I, I think for me, I always want to include them early on just because they know a lot about what they're doing, obviously. But also I think like, in terms of like how to solve uh, like hard problems, they're really good at also helping you out. And you can like discuss things together, or like even like coming up with like design solutions. I think a lot of uh, engineers are great, and of course, there's some engineers who don't want to do that, and that's fine. But I, for me, I always try to bring them along and um, and involve them in the process as early as I can. And I've I've forced people, even though they didn't like it, to go out with me and to do research. Nice. Um, just to show them like, well, you can see when they're using the current product, like how much they're struggling, right? Because sometimes you have those debates, like, is it just my opinion that it should be like this or is it actually real? Like we need to improve this aspect of the app or whatever you're working on. So then it's nice for them to also see, well, actually people are struggling. And that I think that also gives them some kind of empathy uh, towards that. I mean, I'm used to doing that. So uh but it can be really <laughs> i know it was really stressful for some of the developers i put out there in the real world and force them to ask questions and those kind of things maybe that's a bit extreme but at least i think afterwards they, they, they yeah. were grateful of like actually being part of that process so yeah. i think involve them early on and also i i tend to share if i have wireframes or ideas to share them really fast also because sometimes they know well actually that's a good solution but it's super hard technically to create this and maybe if we tweak it a little bit like this we can do it much faster and maybe the outcome is still the same so there's always that kind of what's the effort like technical effort versus user friendliness and maybe you can together find like a meaningful solution right yeah i can imagine that some people aren't too eager to yeah get out and talk with others because they have to step out of their comfort zone. So what would we say, what's the most difficult part in convincing those developers to go out and ask others and yeah. Yeah, I guess it's convincing them that there's value in it, right, for them as well. And, um, and maybe try to convince them that it's not so, I I I think it can be maybe like, a little, um, they could be kind of terrifying for them, right? And convince them that it's not, and these are just, it's just people. You're just having a conversation. You're just showing them some things. You're just asking them to, oh, can you find this part in the app? And, and 
just looking at how they're doing. I think like convincing them that it's not that daunting because uh, I think it's like in your head it's like oh my god and they're judging me and they're judging this <laughs> app and they're like yeah. you're like people's <laughs> ego or whatever like I think like convincing that it's fine and we can fix this that's why we're doing these things right yeah like some of them can think that the people are criticizing their app yeah. and yeah they're criticizing them because of it exactly But, yeah I think that's the step where people have to put away their ego Yeah. It's both for designers and developers. Yeah, and I think I remember one of my teachers always said, like, "Well, if you're if you, you if you don't feel uncomfortable testing something, then you're like you're doing it wrong. Like, you have to yeah. test it when it's early and it's kind of rough, and and you know maybe some things are not working as they're supposed to, but you need to get that feedback to understand if you're on the right path. Um, so yeah, but that's hard, harder for some people, and I think maybe for me, I'm lucky because. I'm so early in the process that I still I also know that well this is rough and it's not like it's not like I'm sitting and polished it for like months and then you show it and they don't understand it and then I, I understand why that's frustrating. How does design relate to being better as a human? Yeah, for me I think for me this whole aspect of like let me see if I can phrase it in the in the right way. <laughs> if I've just like lived in Denmark, I would hang out with my all my white friends We're like upper middle class, right? We're all kind of similar. We wear somewhat similar clothes. We like same music, right? You're kind of in that your little bubble. And I think for me, as researchers, I've been extremely fortunate to just meet so many different types of people from all over the world, all kinds of like uh, social, economical, is that what it's called, uh, levels, and and with different kind of disabilities. And so I think you just get to empathize so much and learn so much from those people and that really puts I think a lot of things in perspective so for me I feel like that's made me a better person I'm still not a good person but I mean it, <laughs> I went from terrible to, to slightly better right but I think I think that's like an amazing thing to just go out and meet people and see all kinds of different ways that people live or how they deal with Again, like especially like pharmaceutical, medical, like how they live with these disabilities, and they're just saying, "Well, I mean, that's my life," and they're super happy. Like they've managed to to do it. And you're thinking, like, "Well, I'm complaining about whatever, hitting my toe on the table or whatever, you know, like stupid <laughs> things." And you're just like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." Sometimes we just don't appreciate the things that we have. Exactly. And uh, when working with others, you can see that, yeah. Your life is not the worst. Like some people have it more difficult and have to yeah. deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And it's also yeah. the beauty with design and development that yeah, if you see those problems, you can solve them somehow or exactly. make it easier for others. Yeah, and that's the nice thing that you can help people and you can see, especially when you get I, I like the best part for me is like when you have a, a prototype or a working product and then you go out and test it and you see like wow, this is actually making a, a massive impact on people's lives and you can see like they're smiling or whatever you can just see that that you've actually made an impact and that's that feels great too but i think again also like if i hadn't been a researcher i wouldn't have like when i was in the states we traveled all over the states and i wouldn't have gone to like the outs like the northern part of Vermont or whatever like random places in the middle of nowhere 
with like people who are like super gun happy or whatever like i would never meet those people right and got an understanding of why they're thinking like they're thinking and then i would have just had my own prejudice about like yeah crazy crazy quote-unquote crazy americans right so and then you find out that they're like super nice people and they actually have good reasons for why they want to have a gun or whatever right and that would have never happened otherwise so I feel like that's like when I was in the US one thing that most surprised me was that yeah when I was at waiting at the, the traffic lights some guy just approached me and you know he started talking like how are you doing what are you doing here yeah and this has never happened to me in Europe like no. nobody never comes to you and yeah just a friendly small talk yeah yeah unless they want to try to steal your wallet or something <laughs> yeah that's what it happens in Europe <laughs> And do you think that testing is always necessary when developing a product? Uh, Yeah, I have to watch out what I'm saying here since it's on a podcast. But no, I I actually don't. I think there's there's certain times where you are in a place where you have a lot of experts, you have a lot of expertise among both the UX designers, the developers, and like the stakeholders who've worked on something for many years. And you kind of had a you know when things are pretty in a good state, I would say. I think the danger is like you you have to test at some point, but then it's like sometimes you don't have to do a lot of research upfront. For example, I mean, I know that's not testing, but sometimes people say like well, we have to do like two weeks of research, and I'm like, well, we all already have a lot of information. I don't think we need that right now. Maybe when we get a little further, we can double check that the solution is correct, and so. It all depends on how much data you have upfront, how much knowledge there is, and then, yeah. But I think you have to test before product goes out at some point. But I don't think you always have to do it in that order that the typical design process um, says, if that makes sense. So maybe I rephrase. I'll say yes. You always have to test. I guess the question is when. Awesome. Uh, yeah, because at some point it just doesn't make sense because it slows down the development, it slows down everything. And yeah. why should you do it if you have the information? Just grab it. Hmm. I think it, the, the the great thing about testing or research is that if there is um, difference in opinions, right? Some people saying, "Well, this is no, this works great," and other people saying, "No, this is not working right." And then it's just becoming like a shouting battle or like different opinions and then you can always say oh let's test it see like a neutral neutral place right and then you can you have that as a as a point of discussion instead of your own opinions and that's why i feel like testing research is amazing because then it's just like let's look at the research and see what it tells us instead of me x as i call it and what about brainstorming is it the same case? So should people brainstorm or just ditch it? Ooh, the great brainstorm. I mean, personally, I hate brainstorming. So <laughs> I think the problem for me, there's a couple of different problems. I feel like brainstorming is great for people who are not designers and maybe not used to a whole design process. So they always love it because oh, it's so fun. You get to be creative. You get to think out of the box, like blue sky and again it, for me it's usually like the managers or upper management who are like love that kind of concept and they love seeing like look at all these like 50 ideas and oh it's so inspiring and i can see from that point of view brainstorming is amazing but for me this whole like forced in uh, forced creativity is so hard because that's not how i get 
good ideas. I get it from doing research and slowly like starting to see patterns, starting to see different themes when you talk to different people. And then that starts to form some kind of idea. And then you can maybe have a type of sketching session, but this like, let's all come together and like brainstorm for five minutes. And then we pick one of those ideas. I mean, you should never pick one idea to, and you said as like the solution, right? Because it's usually not that thought through. And I know also a lot of developers hate that, uh, like brainstorming because it also puts you on the spot. It's very like, if I can't come up with an idea, then I'm not creative and I'm stupid or yeah. you know, like all those feelings. And I, I have those myself as well, because I'm like, I get kind of stuck. And so this like forced creativity is not working for me. And I know a lot of designers who feel this way. <laughs> And usually you use those as like part of like a client workshop to show like, oh, let's think about all the possibilities. And I think it's a good way for, especially like upper management who are like very stuck in like, we can only solve it this way, right? So then you can show them actually, there's tons of different ways to solve this problem. So that can kind of open up their minds, but as a tool to find an actual solution, I don't like brainstorming. I think it's good for inspiration and but like, yeah, I've been in I've been in projects where it's like let's brainstorm and then we pick one idea and that's the one we're gonna develop. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not that's not gonna be good for anyone. So, but I think also, I mean, there's ways around this kind of forced creativity where you give people maybe like uh, the the kind of brief a day before, or you say like, well, let's go away for ten minutes and we come back. And then we can share if you have any ideas and if you don't, that's fine as well. Like just to put a little less pressure on people, but yeah, I've yeah, never been a fan. Also, not everybody can come up with a great idea right away. And yeah. Yeah, some people think better in different places. Someone has to go for a walk. Someone yeah, has exactly. to sit in front of the TV and then boom, something comes up. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So you just can't force crea creativity. So no, let, let's do yeah. it. it. It again, it can it's be not a fun exercise to get people like to open up their minds a little bit. But usually for designers who are already designing, I think that I don't think they really need it that much. I'm sure my old uh, teacher from CID will be mad at me right now because she loved brainstorming. But I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So brainstorming can be fun and creative, but yeah, design work isn't always fun and creative. So is it mostly, yeah, not mostly, is it mostly fun or is it mostly hard, boring work? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of tedious, boring work. I think, I think the, the perception of people who are creative or designers like, oh, you have so much fun. You just like sit and like make up stuff and draw stuff and like all this, like yeah. sit in beanbags or whatever, like image they have from the Google like yeah. <laughs> type workplaces, right? So, I mean, and, and there's an aspect of that, as, of course, but there's also so many, like I said, like especially like pharmaceutical where you have to follow all these rules and there's limitations and restrictions and you have to like, do a bunch of different boring wireframes. I'm not a big wireframe fan, as you might be able to tell, but like doing all these different screens and like, oh, solve all these complicated tasks. And I think, I guess for some people that is fun, I guess like we have to define what fun is. Um, 
but I think the perception is that the designers have like so much fun and such a fun place to work. But there is a lot of like politics and uh, yeah, tedious work that also has to be done, like due diligence and writing interview guides and all these things. Uh, yeah, so I guess it's a mix, but uh, it's not just fun at least. Yeah, some people don't understand those yeah new kinds of jobs i would say yeah and because yeah from the side it looks mostly fun and it can look like you're not doing anything yeah but yeah when someone gets into it when they start trying to do it they -hmm. realize that yeah it's not as it looks on paper yeah there is lots of small things that go into it and you have to devote that time you have to think a lot and yeah creative work I would say it's sometimes harder than physical work because you never leave your job, yeah, kind of. true. Yeah, it's constantly spinning in the back of your yeah. head. And I think also maybe the reason why the perception is like that is because usually when you interact with non-designers, it's usually at a time where you've already come up with the solution or you, you're like later in the process. So they like, they, you meet with them, like if it's different stakeholders or whatever, then they don't see that whole, all the work that's gone into this, just see a super nice solution and, oh, it must be so fun to make this app or whatever, but they don't realize like all the stuff in the background that's like, has to be done right. Yeah. And yes, but if you had a billion dollars to work on solving any problem in the world, what would you work on? <laughs> can I, can I just keep the, the billion dollars to myself and, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, I think the, there's a lot to be said about like climate change and all this stuff. And I know that everyone is working on solving that. And I think that's, that is a, a super important topic. But for me, this whole like distribution of wealth is like, I don't even know where to start. And I think that's like, if not as big, or at least like up there as climate change, I think it's a massive problem that whatever four people owns as much as half the population or whatever it is. And, Elon Musk is making $36 billion in a day, or like, I think that's something that is completely messed up. Uh, like, yeah, one person shouldn't be allowed to have that much money when people are uh, not being able to buy food or whatever it is. So I think that will be a super interesting project to work on. And I, I'm not sure how much work is actually being done because in, I mean, I know there is work to be done, but it's, it seems very political and all these things. And using a design process to solve that would be a super interesting challenge. Yeah, because there is lots of just talk. just distribute a billion dollars to the poor people. <laughs> yeah, but like distributing money doesn't always work. Exactly, I know. So that's also the problem, right? Yeah. And what do you think? How could we apply design to you know, solve even a part of this problem? Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess there's different ways to go about it, especially, I mean, I think in the States, there's so people, everyone is doing everything they can to not pay taxes, right? I think that's actually true all over the world. It's probably also true for myself because I try to write off everything I can as a freelancer and, oh, this pen, oh, okay, I'll remember to not pay taxes on that one, right? And then it's just a, a bigger scale when the more money you have. So I think there's something where 
you might be able to use design process in a way where you can show, well, actually, if you pay taxes, what happens? Which I think now is a problem. You pay taxes and you don't know where they're going, like where you, where's your money going? Just like some hole. And then the government system is still like not working as you feel like it should be working, right? So if there's a way to visualize that or help people to see, well, actually, if you paid this amount of money, these people would get more help or I don't know, maybe... It's hard. I mean, I, if I could solve it right here now, then obviously we probably wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. But, but I think there's something there where you where you can help maybe nudge people into saying, I mean, imagine if every time you pay taxes, instead of it just said like 40% taxes, whatever it is in Denmark, then it will say like, well, this amount went to the nurses and this amount went to yeah. like whatever, uh, like making the roads better or whatever so you would actually have more of a breakdown maybe that will make you feel like well actually okay i, I don't donated some money to the to society uh, whereas now i feel like it's just like a lump sum of money or just like well what the hell happened yeah. why why do we still have to wait two months to get a surgery or whatever so maybe that's one way to go about it yeah like the problem with taxes is that some people don't even realize that they are paying them Like there was, it wasn't a quiz, but it was yeah, a public research in Poland where they asked yeah, just people in the streets, do you pay taxes? And the 40% of the responses were like, no, nah, I'm not paying taxes. <laughs> And like, come on, <laughs> you are yeah. not doing any groceries. You aren't working. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. paying, but some people just don't know about it. Yeah. <clears throat> And I think the other maybe challenge is I think that picture of like, well, these four people make as much as half the population. I think we need more of those kind of ways to show how like 36 billion. I know it's not like his, it's his wealth that went up with that. So it's not like actual money in that sense. But if you say 36 million, a billion dollars in a day, like you would have to even working for 36,000 years, making one million dollars that will like, get you there, right? And he's doing that in a day. Like, how can you visualize this extreme amount? Yeah. Because every time you say like, well, we, we should tax the rich or whatever. I mean, I, I mostly see that in the States, but it's like, well, then they're going to tax me too or whatever. But if you just take 1% of those, that amount of yeah. money, then I mean, regular people almost wouldn't have to pay taxes, right? Because it's yeah. such an extreme amount. And how do you visualize those kind of extreme yeah, differences? It's completely different. Yeah, so, exactly. So, Jesper, the last question for today. Hey. What tip would you give to someone who's yeah, at the start of their design career? What uh, advice? Or what is yeah, what advice or tip? Hmm. I think um, it goes maybe a little back to some of the things we talked about. This like being humble a little bit or like put away your ego make sure that you listen and you're open to both ideas and other people's opinions and not get stuck in your own kind of this is my idea and i want this idea to go out in the world i think that's a little bit of a problem i see sometimes with i guess all kinds of people it's like oh you want to be the one who like i did this this is my my thing and i like but that's not never how things happen right it's always a team it's always a lot of different people working together and maybe you got that one idea but that idea came from work that other people did or something so yeah i don't know if that was one tip but like maybe be 
put away your ego a little bit, be open, be humble, be a nice person. Yeah. Uh, don't burn all your bridges too early because then it's gonna be hard to find work later on. <laughs> like, that's great advice. And I think that not only designers should follow it. Exactly. So, thank you very much for today. Please tell us where can people find you and how can they connect with you? Where can people find me? Yeah, um, I have a website, hotairindustries.com. That's where you can find me or on LinkedIn as well. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't use it that much. So I think those are probably... Awesome. It's because I'm a, as a consultant, you sell hot air, right? That's where the name comes from. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much for today and see ya. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at EliteCrew.io. We'll be happy to help.